Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. Today's episode has been brought to us through the generous support from the Fort Lee Area Spouses Club. Well, we've got a full house for you. Joining us is Tim Farrell, Senior VP and Chief Operating Officer at MSEC, followed by Chris Swanger, President and CEO of Responsibility.org, and then Dr. Katie Friedman, a board-certified pediatrician, writer, and advisory board member for Responsibility.org. I'd like to welcome all of you guys to the show. Thank you for having me, Susan. Pleasure to be here. Appreciate you all. Thank you. We're excited to, to chat about this important topic. You're absolutely right, Dr. Katie. We've all come together today to discuss the important topic of substance abuse, specifically how it can impact our military children and why it's so important to start these conversations early. But before we dive in, I would like to take this opportunity to have our audience learn a little bit more about one of our MSEC leaders. Tim, you joined the MSEC family in early 2021, and this is the first time I've had you on the show. I would love for you to share with our listeners what brought you to the MSEC family. Well, thank you, Susan. And uh, just like it's a pleasure to be part of the team at MSEC, it's a pleasure to finally come on the podcast. Believe me, I wasn't ducking you. There are uh, many more eloquent and uh, much more accomplished people to be on the podcast throughout the military connected education community. And I'm thrilled a little more than a year's time. I've been able to digest their wisdom on the podcast, and I'm grateful now to uh, to join you on it. In terms of my journey to MSEC, it's been a wonderful little over a year. And after a long military career, uh, I was a 23-year Air Force officer, spent the primary um primary years in that in uh, military policing as an Air Force Security Forces officer, and uh, then uh, chose my second act in the nonprofit space and spent a good deal of that in both local and national military, veteran, and education-related activities, both as a board member and as an executive. And when availability matched opportunity for the needed MSEC to come be part of the team and uh, help lead our strategic uh, pivot and transition. I couldn't wait to get started, and it's been a wonderful time here at MSEC, and I'm grateful to work with professionals like you and our entire team at MSEC. Well, we're certainly excited to have you join the family here at MSEC and to bring that vast knowledge. Like us, you guys have military-connected kids, and you really have a strong grasp of some of the benefits and some of the challenges or difficulties that our kiddos face and the families can face, especially during periods of transition. What do you think is important to know when it comes to understanding the military culture? As you said that I am a military parent, got one kid still in high school. He's a junior at Lee High School in the Northeast Independent School District here in San Antonio, Texas. He's part of the STEM Academy in the NEISD, and he uh, goes to school with Lee and does his extracurriculars at Lee. And then my oldest son is uh, 19 years old, and he's a freshman at St. Mary's University here in San Antonio. And they were active-duty military kids not that long, because I've been retired 11 years now. So they were active-duty military kids, uh, Aiden through second grade and Keegan through kindergarten. And I'm grateful for the roots I've been able to put down, my wife and I have been able to put down for them because that's not uh, the experience that every military family has. The transitions are often, uh, the transitions are sometimes abrupt. 
But most importantly, those transitions are not uh, obviously the military-connected child's choosing. The active duty member or that Guard and Reserve member who serves a long time, it's their choice. And of course, their spouse uh, comes along for the ride. But it's not the military-connected kid's choice. And those transitions, those separations, military-connected students, if the family does an entire K-12 through journey while still on active duty, for instance, for that military child, those school transitions, both within a school district and then, of course, over the PCS time, they could be anywhere from six to nine transitions of schools in a K-12 through journey. And that's, that's not typical, obviously, uh, for the traditional student or the traditional family around the country. It's, um, it's kind of mind-boggling. But there are over 2 million military-connected kids who are in schools around the country, and they're dealing with, again, issues that are not of their choosing, family separations, extended deployments, abrupt permanent change of station moves for those families, moving whether across a state, across the country, from uh, the continental United States to overseas, from overseas back to the continental United States. And those are atypical experiences for the traditional student. When you move back into a new community, depending on how welcoming it is, um, that can be a stressor for them, depending on what they're dealing with in terms of that last experience, in terms of that last deployment, for instance, for the military member, whether somebody uh, came home wounded ill or injured from that experience, and anything else that uh, we're not thinking of or is not as typical that, uh, that that military child could be dealing with. All of those are stressors that are unique to our culture for military-connected children and the education ecosystem that serves them. That's why we at MSEC want to be sure that we're looking at the entire ecosystem, things that serve students, programs and services that serve military parents, whether it's the active duty member or the Guard and Reserve member, the veteran or their spouse, and of course, the education ecosystem that serves them, teachers, the administrators, the counselors. Everything and anything in between with that, we want to make sure at MSEC that we're attuned to the fact that this is not a typical experience for the traditional student, and the entire ecosystem can either make that easier or make that harder for that student and their family. Well, I can certainly relate to everything that you just shared, Tim. Some of our listeners may know, but just a personal background, we have three kids ourselves. My husband is still active duty. He's been serving for the last 26 years. And my oldest son went to three different high schools in three different Mm -hmm. states. And my husband has been deployed six years almost collectively over the last 20 since our oldest son was born. So a lot of transition, a lot of adjustment, and our story is very similar to a lot of military. So we really do strive, though, in this culture to help our children to tap into their strengths, to build that culture of resiliency, but they're not always going to be immune to those risk behaviors. And in fact, The National Child Traumatic Stress Network cited two studies that I found really interesting and frankly a little concerning that indicated that military youth may be at a greater risk for substance use. And this was in comparison to their civilian peers, particularly during times of stress. And we certainly have talked about some situations that could be stressful. I'd love to get your thoughts on this particular information. Well, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned the word resilient, and I'd like to come back to that in a minute. But the 
it's intuitive, though we can't necessarily point with causality to any of any substance abuse behaviors related to the military lifestyle. Let's face it, it's pretty intuitive that those kind of upheavals are going to cause stress. The, um, the separations, they're going to cause stress. The gaining new friends or trying to make new friends after leaving old ones and the relationships that you had are going to cause stress. The indecision potentially with extracurriculars, depending on where you go, is going to cause stress. So though we don't necessarily have, at MSEC, have discrete indicators that there is a one-for-one causality with that, it's fairly intuitive that we ought to be thinking about those things as stressors that may lead to irresponsible behaviors with substances, whether they're alcohol or, or other substances. And one of the things that I wanted to, again, go back to the, the word resiliency is it's something that military-connected kids ought to be rightfully proud of, and their parents ought to be rightfully proud of, is the resilient kind of nature that our culture has instilled over time. But we've got to be careful as military-connected parents, as people in the military-connected nonprofit-serving space, in the education space, we've got to be careful that we don't take that resiliency for granted. And we've heard anecdotally through a number of our programs at MSEC, through our student-student uh, student ambassador and welcoming program through some of the training that we do and just our travels in general and our, con- our rich conversations that we have across our network that one of the things that military kids ask us to note is don't take resiliency for granted and don't take our resiliency in particular for granted. We're still dealing with stuff. We deal with it well, often by necessity. But there are things that even if we're putting on the happy face that we don't deal with as well as you may think we do or that we're letting on. And it's, a, it's important for us that we don't take whether reality or perception of resiliency in our military-connected children for granted. I think that's a really important point that you stressed, Tim, and it's something that resonates with me. And you hear that word resiliency and correlate it with military kids, but we need to remember that resiliency is a skill. It's something everybody can learn, but like with any skill, it takes time to develop. It's just not something inherently our military kids live with and have already received. But speaking of military kids, I want to turn to Chris, who's actually a military brat himself. Your dad was a 32-year-old veteran in the Air Force. How do you think growing up in this military community had an impact on you? Well, thank you again for having me. And just this discussion, Tim, and just talking about resiliency and Susan, all of the above, uh, it takes me back growing up. Now, I was the youngest of four. So while I was on the, the tail end of my father's military career, I think he retired maybe when I was about 14 or 15. But during that period, I just did a number count. We probably lived three different countries and two different states during my adolescent years. And being a military kid does bring a lot of different pressure points that kids that grow up not in the military, it's the anxiety of deployment. It's the anxiety of moving from one school to another. There's even anxiety moving off base because it's a different culture. It's a different mindset. I went through that from sixth grade to seventh grade moving off base, the discussion about mental health, the discussion about substance abuse and the risks associated with that for our young people is very, very critical. 
you know, I think the military has really evolved and has done a lot to try to get ahead of substance abuse challenges for our young military recruits, uh, no doubt about it. It has certainly have evolved significantly during the time that, you know, I was growing up on military bases in the late 60s and the 70s and the 80s. So these discussions and having discussions early with our youth about these issues, all the science, and Dr. Katie would be able to talk about this, the sooner you have these discussions with young people, the better chance you have of getting ahead of these issues when they could potentially become a problem for an individual. I'd just say resiliency is key. It is easy to take that for granted, uh, but we need to appreciate and understand that those pressure points exist even greater than a typical family that's not embedded within our great military. I think it's interesting that even though we've learned a lot and we've grown a lot and there's organizations that are out there to help educate particularly when it comes to substance abuse, you know, the stressors, as you said, in the 60s are still the same stressors that our military kids are facing. But I'm wondering, Chris, you are now head of responsibility.org, which is leading the fight to eliminate drunk driving and underage drinking. And you actually recently have expanded the organization's focus to support the military community. What led you to that decision? Well, for me, and I've been in this role for about three and a half years, but, you know, obviously I have a great affinity and an appreciation for our nation's military and what they do. If you put a scale on being a patriot from one to 10, I'm a 15 in that regard and my appreciation for that community because I grew up in it and I just got a, a natural affinity to it. So I thought even before I started the job, that this was an emerging opportunity because our military does so much for our country. Sometimes it's top of mind for the country when some dramatic event is happening. I mean, we're living through kind of anxious, uncertain times as we speak with the geopolitical uncertainties that we're all navigating. But because of responsibility.org and the programs that it develops, and it's all really based on science, I just thought there was a real opportunity to play a supportive role with our military community and our military families. And, you know, I saw firsthand, I very lucky growing up with great parents and great role models and parents. But even then, I mean, the era was different back in the 60s and 70s. It was just a lack of appreciation for alcohol and the role that alcohol plays and shouldn't play in people's lives and sobriety and responsibility. And so for me, really, really excited, even before I started, that I thought there was an opportunity for responsibility.org to share some of our great programs for this great community that does so much for our country and all of us to live our precious lives and freedom. 
Well, we really appreciate having responsibility.org as a resource for our military community and for our military kids. And I think the organization has been fundamental in changing the mindset when it comes to alcohol use. And speaking of alcohol use, I want to switch to Dr. Katie, and we're so grateful to have you join us. She is an accomplished pediatrician who has done research and work specific to teen substance abuse. And she is also on Responsibility.org's advisory board. Dr. Katie, when should we start talking to our kids about these risky behaviors? I know Chris said early, but what is early? I just want to thank you guys for having me. This is such an important topic. Um, you know, even before the pandemic, but really during the pandemic, I'm a pediatric emergency room doctor, so I'm on the front line of alcohol abuse and drug abuse. And there's just been such an exponential growth of children coming in, suffering from ingestions, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and even alcoholism at a very young age. And even more jarring for me in particular is that we're seeing kids that are much younger coming in uh, for alcohol and drug abuse. So having this conversation, getting the word out, really, really important. I'm hoping what I can do today is give parents teachable, um, absorbable moments that they can start to initiate with their family and share it with other people because it really is become a true pandemic in itself. And it's really important that we get in front of this. So a lot of people will ask me like, what is the right age to talk to your child about drugs and alcohol? And one of those topics is uncomfortable, right? Like it's when we talk about sex and we do other things, it can be uncomfortable. And a lot of times parents have this misconception if they talk about it, that it's going to make their children want to do it more and it's going to bring it to the forefront, which absolutely couldn't be farther from the truth. So when I answer that question, it's actually surprising to people because what I say to them is start when they're a toddler. Obviously, I'm not referring to speaking to your child or your three or four year old about drugs and alcohol, but rather you need to start to use the lingo. You need to start to talk about really important things and set that foundation. For instance, you talk about healthy choices. We talk about good decisions versus bad decisions. We talk about self-control. And toddler, being a toddler, it's all about behavioral modification. We all know that as parents, right? Like behaving those temper tantrums and all those types of different things. But utilizing good decision-making and self-control is really important even in that time frame of three to four years old. So for instance, when we're talking about screen time, right? You know, a child would want to watch a screen time for five hours, but explaining to them that we watch for an hour, we put that timer on, and then we go outside and do something that's good for our body. Or when we tell them no because we don't want them to cross the street, we're scared that they are going to get hit by a car, we need to explain to them the safety behind that, that we're there to keep them safe. And utilizing that terminology, healthy decisions, we talk about good fuel and bad fuel for your body, good decisions and bad decisions, and modeling that behavior sets that foundation and that framework for when we do talk about drugs and alcohol, which typically is about five to seven years age, was when we really start to open up that conversation. And when we're using that lingo, it makes it much easier to flow into five to seven years age when we talk about alcohol and drugs, because now our children always have that background of talking about, as you had mentioned before, about resilience and learned resilience. It's the same concept, good decision-making, self-control, our body, healthcare, wellness, that's all being rooted at a very young age. So five to seven, you start to talk about drugs and alcohol, or if your child is asking about alcohol before that time. So if your child does ask, like, can I have a sip of your wine? That's obviously a good time to talk about it. It's a way to, um, it's a teachable moment. Um, but 
what I always say is get prepared ahead of time. Like if you're going to talk to your child, you're about five to seven years, and you say to yourself, okay, I want to talk to my child about drugs and alcohol. Get online. Educate yourself. Make sure that you know the words that you want to use and what is developmentally appropriate for them. So get prepared. By getting prepared and staying educated, you're going to feel way more comfortable giving them that information than you would if you didn't. So we have a ton of resources on responsibility.org. I've written, I actually have a bunch of blogs on there myself, but there's a lot of other influencers and people that have written information about how to talk to your kids about drug and alcohol through the different developmental phases. Educate yourself, know what you're going to say, and then look for a teachable moment. And it's, you can find that teachable moment anywhere. It can be actually personally when you're having a glass of wine at dinner. It could be a commercial on television enjoying an alcoholic beverage, or it can be a family event where maybe Maybe your child sees something and want to be able to talk about it in an open way. But it's so important to open up that communication. It is so important to set that narrative because you're going to utilize that as you move forward into that adolescent time when they're going to be exposed to it. And I promise you that they're going to get exposed to it way earlier than you think that they are. I think what you just shared makes sense. Like I was cracking along. I'm like, oh, absolutely. You know, making healthy choices, you know, modeling healthy behavior. But I have to say, I'm a little shocked, ages five to seven, to start talking about substance abuse. Is there any sort of data or correlation maybe between alcohol rates and how often you talk to your kids about it? I mean, why so young? So I think that it's important to realize the way that you're talking to your children about drugs and alcohol at five to seven, right? It has to be developmentally appropriate. You're not talking about substance abuse, but rather you're talking about, like, if they say, I want a sip of wine, you're saying to them, this is called alcohol. You explain what it is. And this can be very dangerous and make a child sick. And that's why we don't give alcohol to children. So you're setting those parameters at a very young age. You're not necessarily talking about drug abuse or alcohol abuse in a way that's over their head, but rather you're making it developmentally appropriate. And I think it's also imperative that you gauge what they know or understand because you say five to seven is very young and it is. But you'll be surprised with what our children are absorbing in today's youth that they might already know about it and they might already have some information on it. So if you ask them, like, what is this glass of wine or what is alcohol, you might be surprised that they already know a little bit about it. And then when they do tell you what they know about it, then, of course, you can elaborate and help them navigate that in a way that's healthy and answer the questions that are age appropriate and developmentally appropriate for their age group. And I would jump in on this just with Dr. Katie. I mean, modeling behaviors, right? So if you're over serving yourself in front of your five, six, seven year old, they're going to recognize that and notice that, right? And that's going to spark curiosity, right? So a, com a component of it, in addition to talking to them, even at a young age on the real serious stuff, and modeling your behavior is critical because ultimately, and we all know this, you know, young people are ultimately practice what their mom and dads do or what they see at the, the family picnic. Modeling your behavior is first starting point, number one, and then talking to them about it, right? What does alcohol do to a developing brain? And it can make you sick and so forth. So a uh, great point, Dr. Katie. You know, we do a lot of work on responsibility.org with our messaging as far as, you know, everybody's entitled, especially, I mean, as parents, we have a lot of stress and to unwind and have a glass of wine or to have that alcohol beverage. It's not about that. It's not that judgment. 
but rather what is the messaging that you're sending to your child, right? So it's very important that if you are going to have a glass of wine or you are going to have an alcoholic uh, drink, that maybe you are aware, that you're very aware of the message that you're sending. So, for instance, if you want one, maybe you call your husband ahead of time and you have them pour it at dinner so that you're enjoying a nice glass of wine with your meal. You always want to refrain from saying things like, give me a second, I've had a really bad day, I need a glass of wine, or you know, I need some space, I need to have a drink first. Those types of messaging, that type of communication with your child is basically telling them that you are associating your stress or the way that you're taking away your stress is with alcohol. And that relationship is a dangerous relationship. And as they get older, they might model that behavior, as Chris was saying, which can become dangerous. So it's really important. It's not about judgment. It's not about you know, you always want to model responsible behaviors when it comes in a relationship with alcohol, but it's also the message that you're sending to your child. We are all on top of each other during the pandemic, and they probably saw more than they ever have, and they're also under more stress than they've ever been. So it's imperative that when you have a nice glass of wine or you have an alcohol beverage, that you are aware, that you're environmentally aware of what that message is sending, and just make sure that it's not the message of, I'm under a lot of stress, and I need this alcoholic beverage to make it better. Dr. Katie, mention parents quite a bit and how they have an impact on their kids. I'd really love for you to elaborate on that. How are parents the biggest influencer when it comes to kids and making their decisions? This is such a great question. And probably if you take away anything from this podcast, this is one of the most important take-home points in my opinion. From infancy, toddler, into school-aged kids, elementary school, you are, as a parent, their biggest influence. You are their hero. They model their behavior after you. You solve their problems. They learn their lessons from you. You are their epicenter. They really absorb. They want your love. They want your support. And they want so badly to learn and to model themselves and to be like you. And as much as we hope and we wish that that stays forever, it unfortunately does not. And right around the age of like somewhere between 11 to 13, a child's primary source of influence becomes their friends. So you really need and should and be motivated to take advantage of that captivated audience, of that time frame when your child's really listening to you. You want to build that foundation of trust and education when you're the person that they're looking to for advice. Because what I can tell you is that in the ER, when I see these kids that come in at 10 and 13 and their parents haven't spoken to them about drugs and alcohol, they are getting educated through friends and school. You want to create your own narrative for your child. You want to introduce and explain to them what drugs and alcohol is, how to avoid peer pressure, like role play with them, put them in situations, discuss about good and bad decisions, and really give them the tools that they need as they advance and as they become exposed to drugs and alcohol in that phase where, unfortunately, you do not become their main influence. Uh, thank you, Dr. Katie. Look, Responsibility.org's got a program titled Responsibility Starts With Me, and it does. It does start with the parents. The parents are the number one influencer for young kids. I've got a 13-year-old and 16-year-old boys, and uh, you know, I'm in the thick of that teenage peer pressure age, but early on, I, my wife and I started talking to our boys about 
alcohol and uh, the issues associated with underage drinking and so forth to help educate them because we all know they'll grow up to that peer pressure age. So that's why it is so critical to have these conversations because whether or not you realize it at the time or not, but it is resonating with them and they will retain it. So it's very, very critical. Dr. Katie's talking about even at, as early at the age of five to seven, when they're getting to nine, 10, 11, you gotta continue those conversations all throughout their adolescent years. So you are well prepared when they get into the teenage peer pressure years as well. So responsibility does start with me. It starts with the parents and how you model that behavior and how you talk to your kids and about the risks associated with underage drinking and what it does to the developing brain and what it could do to their overall mental health and health, it's going to resonate when they go up to teenage age. Well, I think everybody brings up some really important information today. And Dr. Katie, I want to thank you so much for your expertise on this topic and the tangible advice parents can consider. So, Chris, Responsibility.org has developed resources that really can assist parents in talking to their kids of all ages, because as we agree, these conversations are continual. They're lifetime conversations, not just to have once. What is maybe one of your favorites um, on the website or one that you really think should be highlighted today on the podcast? Uh, great question. Ask, listen, and learn. www.ask.com listenlearn.org. It is a resource and a guide for parents, school counselors to help them talk to young people about beverage alcohol and substance abuse. It's a guide. It's a great tool uh, that is ready available uh, that you can access on the website. And it helps. As Dr. Katie was talking about, you know, when you embark on these conversations early on, it's like talking to your young kids about sex or beverage alcohol. It's not naturally intuitive to talk to them about that stuff, right? So the Ask, Listen, and Learn program can give parents a great tool and guide so you can have that continuing ongoing conversation with your beautiful children. I really appreciate you guys coming on today. I've learned a lot. Frankly, you've given me some pause, some things to think about. I'm sure I've been guilty of making a statement of, I need a glass of wine instead of, I want a glass of wine. So when parents are armed with the right information, I really think they can truly feel then empowered to act. And I know we could keep talking about this. I could probably keep you guys on here all day, but we are actually, uh, for our listeners, we're going to do a podcast that's specific to teens and college kids, which I'm really excited to learn as I have one in college already and one getting ready to graduate from high school. And then we're going to make responsibility.org come back and join us for a webinar just so that our audience can have an opportunity to interact with them and really get some more important information. As we wrap up, I'd like to thank all three of you for coming on the show today. We are truly grateful for your dedication, not only to this cause, but also our military connected kids. For our listeners, we will include information in the show's notes about today's podcast. In closing, We'd like to thank again the Fort Lee Area Spouses Club for their support of this podcast. 
You've been listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Until next time, live a great story.